For tuning in to the Open Door Ministry Breadcrumbs Podcast with me, your host, Barbara Smith. We are here to share our blog articles with you in an audio format. We know that people are very busy and constantly on the go, but we all still need daily inspiration in our lives. It is our goal to share a few thought-provoking morsels that will challenge you to stay actively engaged in the Word of God. His Word is the bread of life. How Far Does Your Shadow Reach? by Matt Carpenter Scriptural texts for this thought come from James 1.17, John 3.26, and Numbers 23.19. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. John 3.26 states, And they came unto John, and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizes, and all men come to him. Numbers 23.19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? This message was developed from a statement I overheard in the foyer of our church while I was in Crofton, Kentucky. One elderly saint said to another, also an elderly saint, Can you see the sun going down in your life? And the answer came back, I can see it more every day that I live. The going down of the sun is called evening time, and it is the time of the casting of shadows. Furthermore, please note that a shadow is the reflection of an object when the light is cast upon it from an angle. Shadows can be short, medium length, or long, depending upon the slant or angle the light is shining from. I want to preach about a quartet of shadows that have more influence on mankind than any other events that have transpired in our world. The shadow of the cross, the shadow of the church, the shadow of judgment, and the shadow of a man. Firstly, I will talk about the shadow of the cross. If we viewed the cross at the time Jesus hung there, suspended between heaven and earth, we would not be able to see a shadow. This was the apex of time when mercy and truth embraced each other by the greatest single effort ever made to redeem mankind, who was hell-bent for destruction. This was a beginning and an ending of an error. That is why the one who hung there is called the author and finisher of our faith. There are shadows until noonday and there are shadows until sunset. But at noonday, when the sun is high in the sky, everything forgoes its reflection and stands alone in the eyes of the creator of heaven and earth. However, notice something very carefully. We are told that Jesus, the central figure of Calvary, was a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. 
In this respect, the shadow of the cross and its effect on mankind started its eternal destiny when there were only two people that existed on this planet Earth. The shadow of the cross was at its longest and began its march toward the hill of Calvary in the beginning of time. When Adam and Eve sinned, they stepped out into the relentless rays of the scorching sun of unrighteousness. When God slew animals to make coverings for their nakedness, I can imagine the startled glances of both of them when a coolness swept over them for a moment as the shadow of the cross searched them out at that moment of the shedding of blood. However, this only lasted a moment, but it pointed them towards the apex of time and to the peak of the old rugged cross upon which Jesus would hang. This happened again as Cain and Abel trudged through the heat of despair with the sweat of toiling burning their eyes on the way to build an altar. Cain was shifting the load on his shoulder containing the fruit of the ground which he had worked so hard to produce. Abel tugged on the vine holding the neck of the lamb he had raised and so carefully looked after. The moment of truth came at the altar of sacrifice when the far-reaching shadow of the cross was cast upon the shedding of blood once again. Abel turned his gaze toward the horizon as he felt the cool breeze from the brief encounter with the shadow. At that moment, Cain glanced toward Abel and said, What are you staring at? And the answer was, I don't rightly know, but it just felt good there for a moment. Then Cain came back with these words, I sure wish I could feel some coolness. This heat is unbearable. Then a voice came from the brow of the hill nearby, Cain, if you do well, will not ye be accepted? But if ye do not well, sin lieth at the door. This great enactment was repeated so many times over the ensuing years. Enoch became so familiar with the shadow of the reflected cross that one day, as he headed towards his usual place of sacrifice and prayer, that reflection was so vivid and strong, it looked like a straight path to another world. So he just reached out his hands and walked right into the door of eternity, bypassing the grave. The Bible says, And Enoch was not, for God took him. Elisha's experience was just as impressive as he gazed at the reflected light shimmering from the shadow of the cross and all at once a whirlwind, surrounded by horses and chariots of fire, ushered him past the grave into paradise. If Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, it had to be reflected from the cross, for we are told that grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. The ark was made of wood, and so was the cross, and that cross contained an eternal sacrifice as it reflected backward from the apex of time. The ark contained clean animals whose blood Noah would shed as a temporary measure to bring the shadow of the cross to the door of his tent. The scripture states, For Noah was a just man. You know the shadow of the cross did some very unusual things in its search to free mankind from his helplessness. Surely there could be no good thing found in the idol-worshipping country of the Chaldees, but the shadow of Calvary in its slow pace toward noonday and reality fell across a young man standing with his family at the shrine of their idol god. 
when taking note of his insincerity in this engagement, Calvary also detected a deep desire for better things in him. So Abram was pointed towards Canaan and trudged forward to fame and fortune in the shadow of the cross. Abraham's ever-present desire for God's best in all his doings caused a chain reaction that finally produced the Lamb of Calvary, who came to take away the sins of the world. As Jesus plodded along the cobblestone streets of his beloved Jerusalem, the place he had chosen to put his name for Israel's sake, his pain almost caused him to forget his purpose, but not quite. As the morning shadows receded in the relentless noonday sun, he plodded on, blood dripping down his face, pouring from his lacerated back, thinking, This cross seems lighter in weight. Turning his head, he could see Simon of Cyrene helping him carry his cross and shouldering most of the load. Even his pain could not keep him from reflecting something like this. Father, I thank you for allowing the final slight shadow of the cross in its morning reflection to help me gather a small faithful group of friends and followers who very shortly will cast their own shadows across your world. And Father, perhaps after the shadow of Calvary starts the evening descent, even my cross-bearing helper will find its cool shade comforting him. Then it was stark, bleak, and lonely, once and for all, without shadow, a beginning and an ending. All the good that had been or ever would be was embodied in this eternal sacrifice. And then somebody whispered, Look, the shadow is going in the other direction. Truly it was, and now it was evening time. Where are you in this great pattern of events? After the cross, you might hear an onlooker say, Listen, everybody, what is this change and difference I detect in that group of worshipers? Another stated, We used to hear the lowing of cattle and bleeding of sheep and the mourning coo of doves and the smell of burning flesh of the continual sacrifices on the temple altar, but this is different. They were looking at the greatest production of Calvary in all its cruel aspects, for now the animal substitute had become a reality in Jesus Christ. He became the righteousness of God for all men who would dare believe by stepping into the shadow of the cross. Thus the church was born. Because he died, was buried, and rose from the grave on the third day. Secondly, let us talk about the shadow of the church. The shadow of the cross that had up to this time become narrow and searching with a loud burst of excitement and explosive worship seemed to blend into the church that was born on the day of Pentecost. The shadow of the church began to spread like a roaring fire in the dry winter grass pushed ahead by the winds of revival. It had started with ten days of fasting and prayer. It then exploded with languages spoken, not studied or learned, by simple Galileans ignited by tongues of fire and mushroomed by the sweeping power of the Holy Ghost. One passerby said, Come on, let's go and see what's happening. And there they were, staggering like drunk men. But it was too early for that. Another onlooker exclaimed, Hey, I hear at least a dozen languages being spoken, but all those people are from Galilee. What does this mean? 
Then Peter stood up from among them and told them exactly what was happening in his profound sermon on the day of Pentecost. This shadow began to pulsate as one after another were plunged beneath the waters of baptism in the name of Jesus Christ to obliterate their sins. This phenomenal experience produced a handful of zealots with one objective in mind. If I must have this kind of experience and power to be a part of God's church in the evening time, how can anyone else in my world be under the protection of this shadow without experiencing the same thing? This is the purpose of the church. Win the lost at any cost. Never mind the sacrifices or the hardships. Never mind the pain or suffering. If we suffer with Him, we shall also reign with Him, the Scripture says. So the shadow of the church began to penetrate the darkness of the idolatrous world with its transforming power by the hand of the apostles. I can see Philip walking the streets of Jerusalem, talking in tongues, with a tug in his heart to start a home missions church in Samaria, the disciples having a burden, receiving the call, seeing and knowing the need and purpose of the church, produced a course of action that exploded into a citywide revival that brought healings, miracles, and salvation that forever changed the complexion of the city. This was just the beginning as the shadow of the church swept across the then-known world. The enemy of the cross is also the enemy of the church, and he did not and still does not like the effect of the church on his domain. This has never stopped the men and women empowered to carry out the great commission of God, who is the author and finisher of their faith. Even the dark ages could not dissipate the effect of the church and therefore in the beginning of the 20th century produced an electrifying effect on parched hearts that were hungry for the coolness of its shadow. This resulted in what we know today as the Pentecostal movement with many sister organizations that have become an ever-spreading shadow reaching into the four corners of our world. Thirdly, amid all this excitement, we must digress and discuss the shadow of judgment. The shadow of the cross was narrow, like a shadow thrown by a telephone pole, but it reached back to the early morning of time. The shadow of the church mushroomed like the clouds of early spring that promises rain to the dry ground of winter. However, because of sin, which is so against God's nature and character, the dark shadow of His judgment rolled like a storm cloud across Eden to drive Adam and Eve from the very presence of God Himself. This dark shadow roamed the earth seeking vengeance against sin as the rain of judgment poured from the skies and gushed up from the ground. But when the shadow saw the figure of a great boat standing on the brow of a hill, it was forced to veer its course as it recognized the shadow of the cross and its protective barrier. Judgment came, but not to those in the ark. The shadow of judgment hovered over the tabernacle in the wilderness and with a watchful eye followed the high priest on his daily journey. Then at one time of the year when this chosen man, the high priest, went into the Holy of Holies with the blood of an innocent animal to sprinkle it on the mercy seat, judgment descended like a thunderbolt and smote that blood only to turn away whimpering in anguish because mercy came between him and the blood. Judgment is commissioned to punish all who sin, 
for the wages of sin is death. However, it is also appointed unto man once to die, and after that death comes the judgment. This was difficult for judgment to understand until he pushed his dark head over the brow of Calvary's hill and saw the flow of the blood that rolled down the old rugged cross. That dark shadow rent the rocks, brought rain and hail with darkness for three hours, but every time he encountered one who was touched by the blood, he had to back away because he could find no sin. This formidable shadow of judgment will continue its relentless march across our world until the end of all things. But there are two things to remember. The shadow of the cross and the shadow of the church stands between every believer and the shadow of judgment because this church is covered and clothed in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, also the enemy of all mankind, as well as every good and right thing ever performed. Satan, who is the author of sin, shall one day be cast into the lake of fire, being overshadowed by judgment itself. Fourthly, now amid all of these elements, let us not forget the shadow of a man. One scripture in our text was James 1.17, which tells us how sure and steadfast the God we serve really is. It states, In Him there is no shadow of turning. John 1.1 tells us, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then in verse 14 it states, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. All the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in him bodily. Undoubtedly, the man who cast the longest shadow in our world was none other than Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. His purpose was to seek and to save those who were lost, and therefore his shadow touched the lives of those from every walk of life. His shadow fell across the little children as he took them in his arms and blessed them, saying, Forbid them not to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of God. It touched the fishermen on the shores of Galilee as he told them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. It touched the tax collectors and the shadows of the temple walls. It touched the leprous man and took away his dreaded disease. It touched the woman caught in the act of adultery, where he said to her, Go and sin no more, for neither do I condemn thee. It touched the multitude and filled their hunger with the multiplied loaves and fish. It touched the body of the widow's son to give life to the only earthly hope she had to cling to. And he said to her, Mother, here is your son. Then that shadow began to shorten as he neared the apex of time when grace and truth would be joined together to form the formidable force called the church. His shadow touched his disciples as he put the reins of leadership into their hands for the future. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the quivering shadow of this great man, heavy with the load of the sin of the world, made the final decision for the success of his eternal purpose when he said, Nevertheless, not my will but thine be done then he meekly stepped up to the cross as it lay on calvary's hill and willingly allowed himself to be nailed upon it so that all the world could have hope his shadow then ceased for a moment at the apex of time 
Jesus was both fully God and fully man, as he cast a far-reaching shadow on all those around him as a man during his earthly ministry. So much more should we. We, as individuals, can do the same by claiming his promise to us in John 14:12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do. The text in Numbers 23:19 says, God is not a man, that he should lie, neither the son of man, that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? John 13:15 tells us, For I have given you an example, that ye should do as I have done to you. 1 Peter 2, 21-24 states, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. Are you being effective in your world? Are you continuing in his footsteps as a minister of his death, burial, and resurrection? Are you casting a shadow in the direction of the cross in this evening hour, whereby others can find their way to Jesus? Jesus said in John 9 verse 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. This also applies to us right now. The night also referred to as the end of time is near, where no shadows can be seen for the light will be removed. We must work while it is day and get the job done that we are called to do, to seek and to save those who are lost. How far does your shadow reach? Thanks for joining us today. We trust you have been nourished and blessed. Always remember the Lord is faithful and His mercies are new every morning. Until next time, God bless.